This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Ghanam. And this is Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a great show today. We have a lot to cover. I want to put things in our first topic in a context of what's happening in Palestine because while Nero is fiddling, Rome is burning. So while we have Trump in the White House, Palestine is on fire. And as we speak right now, there is a acute ethnic cleansing process that's happening in Palestine by the Israeli state and military. And of course, in the midst of all of the other discussions right now on mainstream media, whether it has to do with who the next Supreme Court justice will be, the Mueller investigation, all of this stuff, while this is kind of in people's consciousness, we have an active ethnic cleansing process going on right now in Palestine. That's right. And uh, just to remind our listeners, and I'm sure many of our listeners... They know about this. They know about this. But for those who don't know, Israel has been facing mounting international condemnation as its security forces continue preparations to demolish the Bedouin village of Khan al-Ahmar in the occupied West Bank. So many of you probably have seen images uh, on the net or on television where residents and activists tried to climb onto bulldozers uh, yesterday on Wednesday. That's right. Uh, trying to stop, you know, Israel's plan to basically destroy this village. And, and it's very important for me to speak about this village because in 2016, just I visited it. That's right. And they tried to enact a similar That's right. order to destroy it. And then at the time, this is before Donald Trump became president. Right. So the international community and the uh, probably the fiercest opposition uh, to the order to destroy this village came from the EU right. and uh, the uh, uh, French government and other governments that basically sponsored the elementary school they were they That's were right. paying for the elementary school it's a very small village on the way between Jerusalem and Jericho, it's, it's an area called uh, Khan al-Ahmar. And so at the time when I went there and I took some pictures, uh, people who are interested in seeing some of those pictures, they're on my Facebook, Jamal Dajani too. So they had a lot of international condemnation, similar to today, the European Union condemning it. And when I went there, there were a bunch of ambassadors from different European countries who went down there in, in solidarity. There was at a time also a condemnation from the United States. That's right. From the embassy of the United States in right. Tel Aviv and from the council general in Jerusalem. That's right. But as from many the of, from the Obama administration. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. But as many of you uh, or many of our listeners know, now the embassy has moved from Tel Aviv into Jerusalem, and it's a whole different embassy, and it's a whole different Secretary of State. At this, at that time, it was Secretary of State uh, Kerry. Right. And and so now you just have all these people in the U.S. government who support the actions of the Israeli government and Benjamin Netanyahu. Well, that's, I think there's the political angle, which we will talk about, Jamal. And then there's the reality of what's happening on the ground. And we, we want our listeners to know that since 
before 1948 that there's been a systematic and systemic attempt to ethnically cleanse Palestinians from indigenous lands every single day since even before 1948. And there has been an unbroken line of systemic ethnic cleansing going on. The Bedouin village and Bedouin villages in that area have been attacked by the Israelis notoriously, demolished, and then Palestinians are resilient, obviously. So these villages get rebuilt, and then they're demolished again. So basically, the history of this village, again, this is a small community. It's called Khan al-Ahmar. It's on the way uh, from Jerusalem to Jericho. To, to Jericho. And so the history, just to give uh, people an idea about the history of this village, right? This area is called, in a part of the so-called Oslo Agreement, E1. So it's part of the E1 plan, you know, because, as right. you know, the Oslo Agreement has different areas. And Area C, which is outside the control of the Palestinian Authority, and then E1 is practically, it, it includes East Jerusalem and the en environs right. surrounding, surrounding East Jerusalem. Right. And this is, the, the vast, this is where the vast majority of Israeli colonial settlers live. You know, out of these, uh, now their population is close to 750,000 settlers. 600,000 of these settlers live in area E1. So you have hundreds of, of settlement units that, ha that have been built surrounding Jerusalem in area, in area E1. And so the village, Khan al-Ahmar village, ra uh, uh, lies in the middle of you know, if, if people are if people who are listening to us and who are familiar with the area, one of the largest settlements there is Maali Adumim, right? So so you have Maali Adumim and you have Kifar Adumim, two settlements, massive settlements, massive massive settlements. They almost sh uh, f uh, form a half moon shape or a crescent shape surrounding Jerusalem. That's right. So the village lies right in the middle, in the middle between Kifar Adumim and Maale Adumim, uh, with basically East Jerusalem is to the north of this. And so, so in, in what, what is called Area C, and, and part of Area C is E1, it's the E1 plan. So Israel wants to basically destroy this village, ethnically cleanse it, to link the two settlements together. Well, that's just, the whole. That right. is the whole and, plan. And, th and that's been their they have plan, behind it. And that's been their plan for decades, Jamal. And we know this that their plan has to been completely to encircle and cut off Jerusalem with settlements from everywhere else in the West Bank, and this would be devastating not only for the ethnic cleansing of the this uh, Palestinian community that has been there for for who knows how many hundreds of years. But it will make the transfer of people and material and the ease of getting from Jerusalem to Jericho virtually um, impossible then if they, if they close this plan. It's been the Israeli dream, Jamal, to circle Jerusalem with settlements for decades now. And this is one of the final pieces of that, of that ethnic uh, cleansing puzzle. And, and they have been condemned. 
They should be condemned. The EU, the international community, has condemned the Israelis for this illegal, unethical, immoral, ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. But the problem is, Jamal, we have a little political problem right now, of course, and that is this American government has given cover to the Israeli illegality, the ethnic cleansing, the destruction of Palestinian sovereignty, the destruction of these indigenous peoples who've been in those villages for how many, how many hundreds of years, Jamal? It's just, they're, basically Israel is getting a pass on this because the United States and the Trump administration have blessed Benjamin Netanyahu with cover to be able to do these things. So my question to you, does the EU, which Donald Trump will be visiting next week for, for a big summit, does the EU hold any sway anymore with the political reality among the Israeli government now? No, uh, absolutely not. And uh, if uh, at the, there was a point when Benjamin Netanyahu used to be worried about the EU, about the EU, and yeah. because he had, uh, you know, or or he was worried from the Obama administration. Basically, he now has he gets a wink and a nod from Donald Trump and his Secretary of State and his special envoy and the special envoy and and the embassy the US embassy in Jerusalem because obviously i haven't read any condemnation on their website uh, unlike what we used to see in the past from at least the consulate general so now so so now israel uh, excuse what they've been saying that they they they, they are saying that uh, that the village and its school were built illegally. Imagine, this is the official statement from uh, from your favorite friend, uh, Avigdor Lieberman, ah, saying yes. that the village and its they school are built, are built illegally. When we say the whole entire occupation is illegal, the the settlements are illegal not the village so so and 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 so the charade continues because there there um, have been multiple appeals submitted to the to through the israeli courts actually they were they were submitted by israeli peace activists That's right. and pro bono lawyers the last of which was in may so in may the supreme israeli israeli uh, supreme court rejected the final appeal against its demolition and the, and and the excuse was said, they they said that the village and its school were built illegally now when I was there talking to some of the residents back in 19, um, uh, I mean, in, in 2016, I wanted to know, uh, I remember as a child passing by Khan al-Ahmar at, at one point, that whole area in Khan al-Ahmar, in fact, they had some of the Jordanian army barracks oh, uh, when, when right. on the way into Jericho. But I know the Bedouins, we used to see what we uh, people refer to as the Bedouins living all, all the time throughout my childhood. We've seen Bedouins and we've seen shepherds living in, in, in that area. So I spoke to some of uh, the residents uh, when I was there. And these residents told me, well, number one, 
you know when it when it came, you know this this was the only school and the school was built recently i think within the past 7 years yeah, or so yeah but with the help of the eu also with the help of the eu but they said they had no option the closest elementary school and their kids they used to walk just 7 miles every day to reach the closest elementary school. So they had to build the school with the help of, by, by the way, the EU, France, Belgium, uh, paid for these classrooms. And they had submitted permits multiple times to the Israeli authorities. They were never issued permits. They were rejected. So they had no alternative but to build the school because their kids were walking each way seven approximately miles. seven miles back and forth every day just to get uh, elementary education. I mean, these are kids five, six, seven years of age walking alone on the side of the road for six or, or seven miles. And also they pointed out that uh, many of the people who started to reside in in that area basically they they recall establishing the village uh, this particular village at Khan al-Ahmar uh, and one of the uh, um, people told us that his uh, grandparents uh, moved there in 1951 wow and and many of those people who came they were living on land uh, prior to this in 1948 so they were ethnically cleansed from the land, you know, were now uh, supposedly Israel proper or occupied Palestinian land since 1948. Exactly. And they moved to Khan al-Ahmar in 1951. Exactly. And Israel occupied the rest of the West back in 1967. So so can you explain to me who is illegal? Yeah, let's, let's be very clear for our listeners, Jamal. They're not just demolishing the, the elementary school. They want to take out the entire village. The entire village uh, of this community they want to take out. This is, this is part of their colonial dream, their settler colonial dream, is to just have no Palestinians anywhere. Not just, not just in Jerusalem, uh, but everywhere on the West Bank. And I, I really want to emphasize, Jamal, that this closing of the loop, if you will, between Mali Adumim and Kafir Adumim, it's very critical. This last bit of information, this last bit of land, to to keep safe passage from Jerusalem to Jericho back and forth for Palestinians. This is part of their dream: is to cut off, to choke off Jerusalem from the rest of the West Bank. It's uh, it's very alarming, Jamal. It's very it is alarming. very alarming, and they want to complete basically the project that they started, which is basically completing a, a total uh, surrounding of Jerusalem. You know, Jerusalem is surrounded by rings of uh, major two two major rings of of settlements, and this uh, tiny village basically happens to fall in in, right the, in middle, the middle, right in the middle. And and so as as we are speaking, the bulldozers are rolling. Are are there? Uh, as of uh, you know, of course now it's uh, it's night time. But as of uh, early this morning, basically the Israeli occupation forces assaulted the Bedouins and activists who were trying to resist the illegal demolition of Khan al Ahmar. And uh, early in the morning, they had military vehicles and bulldozers surrounding the entire 
Bedouin village in preparation for its imminent demolition. And as I've mentioned before, the last time we've seen an action like this was in 2016 when I was there. And the EU and other diplomatic efforts were able to kind of put a halt but, on but this. But not anymore. But I think now it's kind of like, it's almost like a done deal. Uh, you have at least 180 people who live in Khan al-Ahmar, uh, uh, one of the largest family who I met there and one of its leaders, uh, his name is uh, Abu Khamis, uh, as I remember him. He, he was the one who told me the story of why they had to build the elementary school, uh, you know, because their kids were walking, uh, I, I say seven uh, miles approximately, he said uh, 10 kilometers. Unbelievable. He was, he actually, he was saying 10 kilometers. Uh, they were walking every day to the closest, uh, to the closest village. And they've lived there uh, since 1951. And many of those Bedouins, basically, they were ethnically cleansed from the Negev, or the Naqab, as we call it. In 1948. From 1948, actually, from 1948 to 1951. It was like a, a three-year three campaign. Three campaign. So they moved. And the, at the time, the West Bank was under the administration of the Jordanian government, so the Jordanian government allowed them to settle since 1951 in that village because they were kicked out uh, from the Naqab area or but the Jamal, Negev. Can we can we just like make this really clear for people? Bedouin communities have been in that area for how many thousands of years? This, well, like when we talk about the area, Bedouins travel throughout the Middle East. For how many? Technically, uh, they don't have any borders. Right. They've been in this area forever. In, in the modern, in the ancient eras, modern eras, whatever. They have been in these communities forever, Jamal. Let's be really clear about this. And what? Well, they've certainly, certainly been in this area before. Avigdor Lieberman, who, who where's he from again? He's from Moldavia. Moldavia. Yeah. That's so right. who, who he's saying that uh, you know absolutely no. So to they're them. calling Bedouin communities, Palestinian communities, illegal. They're calling schools illegal. This sounds to me a lot like the Trump administration language, Jamal, about the way they speak about immigrant communities. Muslim communities, people from Muslim-dominated countries who come into the United States, asylum seekers who come to this country legally seeking asylum, who get labeled by the Trump administration, by Jeff Sessions, by the DOJ as illegal. They're saying people are illegal, yet these policies are illegal. This occupation colonial settlement project is illegal, yet they're calling people who are just trying to survive and live and have their children go to school illegal. The, the narrative, the discourse, the way to think about people between the Israeli government and the Trump administration, it, it sounds really similar to me, man. Well, the funny thing, you know, the terminology using, using the term illegal when, you know, the Israel totally ignores uh, United uh, Nations resolutions two four two one one eight one whatever, and spe and more specifically the Fourth Geneva Convention, exactly. which basically prohibits the transfer of the of populations who are occupied. 
or the transfer of the victors in in the case right. of Israel into the occupied territory. So that's number one. So when they talk, I mean, it, it, it's such a, a ridiculous claim, but they are so uh, skilled at twisting the law to their adva- I, I, advantage. I don't think they're skilled. Well, I think they, they have cover. They try to play games when, like I said, the the issues about if we talk about legal and illegal issues they're violating the fourth geneva convention they're violating united nations uh, resolutions and then they say oh well it went through the supreme court you've appealed it and the supreme court and this is what i uh, t- talked about earlier or or in their case they called israel's high court of justice which is kind of equivalent to uh, the supreme court approved the demolition of the entire village despite what we've been talking about that international law establishes establishes the prohibition of collective or individual forcible transfers of population from within the occupied territory and I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing here so this is what Israel uh, uh, had has done uh, they offer, the Israeli authorities have offered to relocate the 40 families to a location near Abu Dis, which is, by the way, this is considered the Palestinian, Palestinian, capital. Palestinian territory. Well, yeah, that's a different story. But basically, they're getting rid of them from Area E or, uh, or, or uh, Area C in E1, in E1 in, A, in Area C, and sending them to the West Bank, to Abu Dis, so they'll become the problem in, in an already overcrowded area, so they'll become the problem of the Palestinian Authority. And basically, they wanted to send them. This is, this is I'm not making this up. They wanted to re- relocate the 40 families to a location near Abu Dis, not exactly in Abu Dis, where it used to be a garbage dump. You can't make this, this stuff up. This area, this area is actually a garbage dump for Abu Dis and many of the small villages outside. And that's where outside. they want to relegate. So they want to they wanna send them. They want to just take their land and throw them, basically make them live. Uh, you know, in in a garbage dump. So the village, the villagers have refused. Uh, number one, arguing, arguing aside from the the toxins and the garbage dump, but these guys are shepherds. They have no grazing ground. The area basically, it's their uh, land and the location is not suitable for their way of life. That's that's, right. that's number one, and and it means that they have to live over a what used to be a garbage dump uh, as we all know uh, everyone knows bedouins normally enjoy large spaces to keep their animals right for grazing and 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 they said no and yes. and we've been living here since 1951 those settlements you didn't start building these settlements till after 1967 basically they started 68 building the settlements and why you why do you want to take you know it sounds very reasonable right well yeah but- they refused as they should. And I just keep coming back to this point about the cover, Jamal, from the Trump administration that is allowing this level of inhumanity and this level of breach of international law occur. We, we can't lose sight of what's happening on the political end of this, that this kind of, uh, this kind of behavior was, had tremendous pushback from the o- Obama administration. They did with the, what they could. And when 
the United States and the EU were coordinating to confront the Israelis uh, on these matters, there was a little bit of uh, respect for that. But now there's no respect for international law by Israel. There's no respect for the EU. There's no respect for anything whatsoever in terms of protecting these these in, these indigenous you know folks who have you know been there as you said since fifty one and in this area generally speaking forever they they can get away literally with murder because they're not being held to account. This is the same story. That's why Jamal, I think if you look at the way state power is used to abuse people, what Israel is doing to the Bedouin communities. Is, makes me think about what the Trump administration and its state power is doing on the border with all of these asylum seekers, immigrants, people fleeing, you know, um, you know, fleeing basically for their lives, Jamal, and being called illegal and then being deported and sent back and separated, you know, children from their families. I think that we see a convergence of this kind of... Um, this kind of um, disregard, if you will, and thumbing their nose in the face of the international community. It's quite remarkable, actually. And I think, you know, what, we're, what Palestinians are headed for, just like what asylum seekers on, on the border with uh, Mexico and the United States are, are in for, Jamal, is this is a very dark period of time. For it, is very, it, it, it is really a very dark period of time. And, and basically... Uh, you know, for decades, Israel has been making facts on the ground. And this new, basically, attempt, really, because they've been going back and forth right. trying to de destroy this uh, village, demolish it to make way to connect these two settlements together. If they succeed, if they succeed, and it seems like they are, it means that they can do it over and over again to several other condemned areas in their books, basically, where they want to expand their settlements. Absolutely. And uh, before we move on to another topic, well, basically, I just, you know, I updated everyone that the United Nations, the European Union, and most of its members have been demanding uh, that Israel hold its, its plans to demolish uh, the uh, West Bank Palestinian Bedouin village of Khan al-Ahmar, Israel is not basically listening, and it, it seems to be imminent that, uh, you know, people and have to speak, uh, to speak, speak more, speak out. But also, uh, I've been seeing a lot of uh, comments, and I want to briefly comment on, on this before we transition to another topic, because we will need to uh, make a phone call and, and call a guest to speak to him about a different case, but is that the fact people have been commenting how helpless the Palestinian Authority and how useless its security forces have been. They are useless. Because they have been juxtaposing, and I've been seeing these images, they have been juxtaposing the images and the videos of the Palestinian security forces basically attacking Palestinians, demonstrating in Ramallah and stopping them from demonstrating yeah. and demanding that, uh, you know, that the siege on Gaza uh, come to an end, come to an end and using force and using basically their security forces, the American trained, Canadian trained security forces. But when it comes 
to Palestinians in need of help, like they're useless in in Area C. They're useless, brother. Which is supposed to be part of their control at some point. It's so it's so disturbing. They it's cannot a, defend Palestinians. They can only you know thirty one uh, basically uh, hundred eighty one individuals. They cannot defend them, and they cannot stop. Israel from demolishing an elementary school and peaceful villagers, basically. And, Jamal, remember, this is all occurring in the context of Jared Kushner's peace, peace initiative in with uh, Palestinians. So this is a wonderful peace gesture that the Israelis and the Americans are doing to create peace on the ground by ethnically cleansing and destroying yet another Palestinian village. We're going to take a break right now. Um, we are, we, we, our next segment is going to be really great. We're going to be talking with an attorney that's on the, uh, well, academic freedom and, and the case that we've been speaking about quite a bit here, Jamal, with Professor Abdul Hadi. And uh, it's going to be a very spirited discussion. So we're going to take a little musical break. And when we come back, we're going to be speaking with attorney Mark Kleinman. Stay tuned. This is Arab Talk. Right, this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. It's Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We're moving on just to our next segment uh, to, to get an update about this uh, lawfare project which refiled a baseless lawsuit against San Francisco State uh, University and Professor Rabab Abdelhadi. And we are very uh, fortunate... It seems like we had a little technical difficulty. We were introducing attorney Mark Kleinman. Um, Mark, are you able to hear us now? Yes, I can, clearly. Oh, great. Sorry for that technical glitch. Uh, We're very appreciative to have you with us right now. And for our listeners who may not know the overall and big context of lawfare and its role in the attacks on academic freedom and what's happening at San Francisco State and with Professor Abdulhadi, can you give a little pricey, a little overview of what happened and where we are today. Lawfare is a right-wing Zionist organization that has said overtly that its stated goal is to make critics of Israel pay a massive cost um, for their speech and for their activities. And lawfare itself essentially means to harass Um, and disrupt opponents and organizations through the filing of frivolous lawsuits, or at least meritless lawsuits. This thing's dead serious. There's nothing frivolous about it. Um, Lawfare, with the collaboration of Hillel at San Francisco State, drummed up a couple of students, a couple of former students, and a couple of people in the community who filed a giant lawsuit against Dr. Abdulhadi and also against the university and about a dozen university administrators. Mm-hmm. Um, the suit's gone through three different versions. The first two versions um, have, uh, well, one was so badly written that when we pointed out its mistakes, 
um, to the plaintiffs, they just said, oops, withdrew it, and filed the second version. That version was thrown out by the judge, um, who said he really didn't think they were going to be able to make out a claim against Professor Abdul Hadi, but just in case, to err on the side of giving lawfare as much of a chance as possible, he was going to give them another chance. That is this third lawsuit. The first um, two versions of the suit included an overt attack on basically everything that has happened at San Francisco State since 1968. Um, The strike to establish the um, Black Studies program, the leadership of the Black Students Union, the emergence of the College of Ethnic Studies, um, the creation of the Ahmed program under Dr. Abdulhadi, the um, fights to maintain that program um, and maintain the rights of um, Palestinian students and Muslim students in the face of um, ongoing harassment, um, you know, sometimes led just by Hillel and its allies, sometimes led right. overtly by the university. Right, right. So, so the, let me just kind of uh, maybe break it down a little bit to our listeners because it, it, it might sound a little bit confusing. This has been going on for so long that this is the lawfare's third attempt uh, basically adding, from what I understand, multiple false statements about Dr. Abdel Hadi uh, after the judge uh, has determined that, number one, she was she's not an official university actor. The new complaint also sues Dr. Abdel Hadi in her personal capacity. Am I right to with this assumption? Um very closely. The whole personal capacity thing gets highly technical, and if I get too much into the weeds on this, um, uh, I apologize. Um, all of the charges they are making against Dr. Abdul Hadi, they are making in connection with her role as a professor at San Francisco State. Um, And the reason for that is that they are claiming that as a state employee, Mm -hmm. she violated Uh, their civil rights. What they, the difference is, and it's a slender difference, but it's one that has legal significance, is that the judge has said that they cannot claim that she is an official and that she sets policy. Right. for the university or for the College of Ethnic Studies, and that they have, it is not enough to show that she established some sort of policy or program, which is what they've claimed, right. um, but that she was directly involved in somehow interfering um, with the civil rights of the these students and other non-students. But Mark, let's, let's take a Let's take a step back. Can we just look at this from the outside and say, what is happening that we are in the United States in 2018 and a lawsuit like this is occurring in the context 
of an academic institution, an academic who's doing their job. And I, I wonder if you could reflect on this. I mean, you've been doing this kind of work for a long time. And I, I, I'm just kind of curious about when you look at this somewhat dispassionately, because I know everybody working on this is very passionate. And, but what is it telling you about where we are right now? Well, there was a, a surprisingly valuable op-ed piece in the New York Times last week about oh, what really? they called the weaponization of the First Amendment uh. and how it has been seized by the right wing. Um, and um, <clears throat> this is part and parcel of an ongoing effort to suppress speech about justice for Palestine and justice in Palestine on campuses throughout the country. Um, the same people who have attacked Dr. Abdul Hadi here um, have attacked programs at, uh, at Berkeley. Right. Um, they have gone after a professor at UC Santa Barbara. Um, they've harassed and tried to threaten um, a professor at UCLA, a professor at Cal California State Northridge here in Southern California, etc. Um, Ken Marcus himself, um, Trump's new appointee to head of the oh, Office right. for Civil Rights, right? Right. Um, in fact, before then, um, ran something called the Brandeis Center, which is suing about a dozen professors and the American Studies Association back east, not for interfering um, with a racist genocidal lecture, not for saying, um, you know, Hillel should not participate in a student event, but simply for getting a professional academic association um, to consider and ultimately vote on and support BDS. Right. So this is a national campaign to, I mean, suppress um, progressive speech in general and speech about Palestine in particular that um, is going on on campuses throughout the United States. We're speaking with Ken Marcus, who is Mark. One of, I'm sorry, Mark Kleiman. Mark, we're speaking with <laughs> Mark. That, that, that was a that was a Freudian slip, Mark. You know that that was a Freudian I do. slip. I, do. I couldn't get Ken Marcus out of my mind. The fact that he has that position now with the Trump administration, I was still <laughs> unable to wrap my mind around that. We're speaking. I'm sorry, with Mark Kleiman, one of the lead attorneys on uh, on this case. I, I'm still kind of shocked. I, I'm. I think all of us in this political context are are kind of amazed with the resources that are being leveled uh, uh to use the f the weaponization of the first amendment to 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 kind of attack palestine and free speech about palestine and palestinian justice it's a lot of money that they've got behind this oh gosh is it ever um and it's it's not surprising on two levels the first is that um, I, it's very clear that um, the Israeli state um, sees international BDS as an existential threat. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, I and they have called it that, yeah. and they have responded to it. They have that way. They have a government, a whole government agency that is devoted to nothing but disrupting BDS campaigns internationally. Um, they have directly funded um, organizations in the United States that are, um, you know, trying to disrupt and interfere with campus activities in favor of BDS. Um, and, of course, they have um, a massive outpouring of legislation right. they have proposed, including um, a misnamed bill that is working its way through Congress right, right. now. Right. So, so I, they, I, the fact that they are this frightened of an international nonviolent boycott um, tells you, A, how effective the they know the boycott can ultimately be, and it also tells us that even though they bristle at any comparison with apartheid South Africa, mm-hmm. they know that it, it was the BDS campaign against the racist apartheid government that played such a big role in bringing that government down and creating racial justice, or at least some racial justice, in South Africa. Um, So they know this stuff works, and that terrifies them. So back back to the the case, because we have a few minutes left. I know the hearing was supposed to be in July, and now it uh, got postponed to to August. And so uh, it's very important for our local listeners to be aware of of the impact of this case because it does not only impact Dr. Rabab Abdel Hadi, but it also has national, really, effect, uh, especially in this atmosphere. and, and, And even I can... We can even talk about the Supreme Court now, or the new makeup of the Supreme Court. How is it going to look? So, what what do you expect uh, from the hearing and from basically people in the Bay Area? Because we want to make sure that people are aware uh, about the ramifications and also to maybe even attend uh, the hearing itself. Thank you. Well, well, first uh, first of all. Um, The hearing, as you said, is going to be on August 8th. It begins at 2 p.m. in the courtroom of Judge Oreck at 450 Golden Gate Avenue. That's the federal building. Yes, exactly. We're we're going to be having a rally before the hearing, Um, and we're hoping that everybody who is listening to this show who is not working that afternoon can come out and everybody um, can at least tell two or three friends, neighbors, relatives, colleagues about this and get them to turn out. The last time we had a hearing, the courtroom, and these are big courtrooms, was full to overflowing wow. with Dr. Abdul Hadi's supporters. Um, there were almost as many people crammed into the hallway outside of the courtroom as there were inside of the courtroom. This makes an impact. This makes a really powerful statement. There was nobody or almost nobody there 
from the lawfare side of the equation. Well, the lawfare also, I should say, and you've mentioned it eloquently, the lawful project identifies itself as the legal arm of the pro-Israel community. And it has declared on their website that their intent is to punish and silence advocacy for Palestine, uh, basically on college campuses and, and everywhere. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, their resources. Uh, just from the last hearing last time, they're bringing all the big guns and the huge... Uh, Entourage. Well, they have one of the largest... How many lawyers do they have? How many lawyers they have? Oh, okay. Yeah, they have a 900-lawyer law firm oh my God. working for them, um, presumably for free. The law firm is called Winston and Strawn. They've got offices all over the United States, all over Europe. Um, they've got some offices. I, I, I believe they have offices in Saudi Arabia as well. Wow. There are seven or eight of those lawyers. And Dr. Nawab Abdel Hadi is not represented by Ken Marcus, I should say. <laughs> she is represented by Mark Lyman, Ben Garagosli, and Gavin Cunningham and Hunter. Am I correct? Yes. <laughs> and San Francisco and, um, State I, University is represented by Munger, Tolles, and Olson, LLP. Yes, and Munger Tolls is, uh, is itself a giant law firm, and the lawyer who's handling the case representing the university, who, by the way, had some critical things to say about Dr. Abdul Hadi and his, plead his pleadings. This really? is not one big, oh, yeah, one big happy family. So they're trying to throw um, her under the bus? Is that what you're saying, San Francisco? Yes, State? yes. Um, yeah, he had remarks in his brief talking about how defending her right to free speech, but saying that however offensive or extreme these comments may be. Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, I, that's so in, your tax in, dollars at work. Right. So with um, friends like them who needs enemies, in other words, and then you have three, basically, or four attorneys against 900. Well, I would say this is a case of David versus Goliath. Mark, and uh, unfortunately, we have to come to a close. We're, we're really appreciative of the work that you and the legal team truly in this David versus Goliath episode is, and we're going to be having you back. We'll be having others of your colleagues back. We want to wish you best on August 10th, but I know we're August 8th. August 8th, I'm sorry. But we're going to have, uh, we're going to be contacting you and, you know, talking more about the hearing as time gets close. I'm looking forward to it, and I know um, my um, colleague and strong right arm in this, uh, Ben Garagosli, is looking forward to yes, it we'll as well. We'll um, together, we will we will hold them off. Thank you so much. That's the voice of Mark Kleinman, not Ken Marcus. <laughs> Thankfully, okay. Thanks so much, Mark, and we'll thank uh, you both. We'll talk to you soon. Uh, we've Take come care. to another bye -bye. close of Arab Talk. Send us your comments to arabtalk at kpoo.com. We'll see you next week.